Welcome to the unofficial House of Wind book club, ran by two best friends and self-declared members of the Night Court. Today we are discussing chapters 27 and 28 of A Court of Thorns and Roses. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. I thought that no one could fix me. Libby, I've had a really, really, really good week and I can't wait to tell you about it, but please tell me about how your day is first or your week is first so I don't feel rude. You know, I think that you're partially saying that because the prompt I put in my note just says cheesecake and I think it's killing you. I'm very confused. I asked you about it last podcast because cheesecake, Um, but yes, please. And I made you wait. I did. I made you wait. Please tell me all about it. So my husband has a coworker and they are expecting their umpteenth child and we are to help watch their other children when she goes into labor for this child. And they go to the hospital to have the baby. So they invited us over to meet their other children and get to know them. That way they weren't going to be blindsided with just like two random adults and another little kid whenever we came over. Right, because that'd be creepy. That's weird. Yeah, that's not fair. So we went over and they had texted and they were like, is pizza okay? We're like, oh, cool. Yeah, just a chill, get together, get some pizza. Nothing crazy. Who says no to pizza? Right. So we were like, oh, that's super easy. Cool. So we're thinking the vibe is nothing too intense. And, you know, I'd like to kind of bring something as well to like as you're hosting us. And I want you to know that we're happy to be hosted. So my husband went and picked up a cheesecake from the store and it was just a store-bought cheesecake. And we didn't like to try to hide that it was store-bought. Like we brought it in the container showing that it was store-bought cheesecake. What I would have done was put it like on a plate. And then brought it. Well, and I thought about it, but it was it was one of those like each each slice is a different flavor, and so so you could obviously tell it wasn't homemade, right? It was pizza. It's not like there was this expectation for like above and beyond. I was just trying to match the vibe. So he picks up a cheesecake, and we bring it, and we eat the pizza, and then it's like, oh, cool, let's have some cheesecake. She's like, well, I actually made I made cheesecake. I made homemade cheesecake. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And it was the best thing I've ever had. And I brought this danky little store-bought cheesecake. And I was humiliated. I was like, I'm not lazy. I promise I didn't just grab something at the gas station. I felt so stupid. So she made a beautiful, delicious homemade cheesecake. It's beautiful. The, the whipped cream was homemade. The blueberry sauce was homemade. Everything about this was homemade. Broken down all of it. It was amazing. And she was like, I was going to do a big dinner, but you know, I'm, I'm ready to go any day now. It was just a lot. I'm so sorry. And I was just like thinking, I am humiliated. Oh my gosh. Libby, I'm embarrassed for you. I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> this is bad. I look like I don't care. And, you know, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. My child has already told previous teachers and classmates that I walked out on them. I love her. 
I never have. I love her so much. So other people don't think that I'm present in her life. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why she did that. I don't know. When I asked, she said that her teacher asked where I was because I don't take her to or from school. My husband does. She's just gone out of our lives. Yes. And she tells them, mom left. Mom's not around. And so then she told classmates this. I've since met other classmates parents that have been like we just thought marcy didn't have a mom anymore i was like no i'm here so now this i just look like i don't give i just don't give a shit and i just bring some janky little store-bought crappy cheesecake that definitely tasted like absolute garbage compared to this masterpiece it should have been on display in a bakery in paris somewhere it was amazing and now I don't even know how to make cheesecake like that. I can't ask her to make me the cheesecake because I don't know her well enough. And she's super pregnant, so that's not fair. You know what? You can ask her for the recipe. No, I'll, I deserve this. I'm going to suffer and know that I've had the best cheesecake of my life and I will never have it again. Cheesecake Factory needs to take notes. That's how good it was. It was... Oh. Oh my gosh. And this was worth the story. Yeah. I... Oh God. I'm still losing sleep. I'm so embarrassed still. So that was that was uh that was my week okay it's gonna be okay i know you can cook this is not but they don't know that <laughs> they don't their impression of me this is not on you <laughs> you're the mom that brings store-bought cheesecake and runs out on her kid <laughs> wait hold on did they make homemade pizza no no she's also about to have her Several, it, I don't want to give out their information. They have a lot of kids already. They're about to have another. She's super pregnant. I don't blame her for not having the energy to make a huge meal. But the fact that she was planning to and then still made this freaking dessert. Oh, gosh. Oh, Libby. Like, she probably taught Martha Stewart everything she knows. Like, it was it was that amazing. I Before or after jail? You know, I mean, she's close to my age. So, obviously, it would have to be after. But <laughs> unless, like, there's, like, time travel involved, then I'd say for sure, like, early days. Like, she taught Martha everything. And I I hope I'm not going to say your name. You know who you are. If you're ever listening to this, I am just in awe of you. You are literally mom goals that I, I will never be able to live up to. So moving on. Abby, what about you? Something really cool happened this week. And y'all know I'm a photographer. I always have meetings before my shoots just so I know what the person wants. And I'm not just like showing up with a random stranger because, you know, social anxiety and things. It was my third meeting of the day. I was a little tired, but you know what? I was getting ready for a lovely meeting with a potential client. And in walks this woman wearing a High Lord of the Night Court resand shirt. Mm. And I immediately looked at her and said, you know, I have an ACOTAR podcast, right? She looks at me like, one, I'm insane, but two, with eyes of wonder and goes, no. And I was like, yeah, come here. And I took her in and I showed her my annotated book that I work from every week and like have gone through and highlighted. And I was like, no, really. And we spent half of the meeting. The first half was talking about her maternity photos, which she wants to do night court inspired maternity pictures. And I'm so excited. But then the second part was just talking about the ACOTAR series and Crescent City and that I had just started TOG. And it was just so cool because I had had a long 
long day and then in walks a literal night court member are you kidding me don't you love meeting akatar besties in the wild like don't you just love stumbling across other people that are part of the fandom it honestly made my whole week i went to starbucks and i was wearing a surreal tico shirt mm-hmm. and the barista was like i like your shirt <gasps> and my eyes probably popped out of my head i was like you know what it is and she was like yeah and like you do you like it she i was i was nerding out and she was so chill about it she's like yeah and i was like i'm totally embarrassing myself by how excited i am but because mm-hmm. nobody ever knows what my shirts mean no and like i have a couple shirts but i bought them in smaller sizes purposely and they don't fit me yet so i haven't been able to wear them out but this woman just walks right in casually well and you're in italy like your your numbers are even lower for how you're gonna run into people so that's wild yeah here's the best part she just got here last week so it's not like i could have known her wow this was divine intervention i was like okay Okay, the cauldron's doing something here, bringing us, bringing us night court members together. Cauldron bless, yeah. I was so happy, Livy. It genuinely made my week just to know that here I am in Italy with, you know, much less Americans around me than normal. And here walks into my own home, a fellow night court member who wants me to take photos of them in night court attire. And I'm just so excited. I had to geek out with her for a good hour about the whole thing. I would too. Abby, I have a question of the week. Are you ready for it? Uh, Yes and no. The question of the week is what's your favorite conspiracy theory? I would like to know before we proceed, because we briefly touched on what our answers are on this. Should we start dark or should we start light on this? Okay, I want you to go first because mine is a lot. Yours is heavy. And yours is much lighter than mine. So let's start light and cute and fun and then we'll end with scary. Okay, I love conspiracy theories. I love any and all of them. I like the dark heavy ones. I like the light funny ones. I have a lot. But my all-time favorite is that birds aren't real. That is my favorite. Okay, I know about it, but I don't know the specifics. Please explain. Okay, Birds Aren't Real is a satirical conspiracy theory, which posts that birds are actually drones operated by the United States government to spy on American citizens. Uh, And they're just not real. They are all robot drones and they're spying on us. It's not supposed to be that you actually believe birds aren't real. And it makes fun of us as a generation of people being into conspiracies and being able to laugh at ourselves for some of these conspiracies and knowing that we can be out there. But it also kind of, it pisses off older generations that because I don't think they fully understand that we don't actually believe birds aren't real. And it makes them mad, which makes it even funnier. But then again, aliens were considered a conspiracy and here we are. So everything about birds aren't real is just, it's my cup of tea. Mine is scary, dark, horrifying. And it screwed me up in high school. I went through a phase of life where I was watching conspiracy videos on YouTube We're talking like 2013, right? 2012. Prime YouTube time. And I remember watching these on my mom's office computer in the computer room. 
So they saw the history. I was sitting there on my mom's computer at like three in the morning watching these conspiracies. And this one has stuck with me forever. The Denver airport was built by the New World Order. Now you're thinking, Abby, that's stupid. And that's insane. That obviously didn't happen. Okay. So there are some key points here. Number one, the layout of the Denver airport is in the shape of a swastika. That, I mean, red flag number one. Number two, the giant blue horse sculpture outside of the airport is a nod to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. People think it contains the Illuminati headquarters. Now, I think that's kind of insane, but okay. This is the one that screwed me up. There are hundreds of miles of underground tunnels under the airport. Too much for the baggage claim system that theoretically is under there. But the baggage claim system doesn't exist anymore. They do not use it. But there are still people down in the tunnels. And if you look at the plans on the tunnels, there are not released plans of these tunnels. But people that have worked down there, multiple, they all had to sign NDAs before they started building down there. And people have said that there are tunnels under there that lead to underground bunkers. And there was one released, like verified what? map of what the underground looked like. And there is enough like space there for 10 malls worth of bunkers. What are you doing with that many bunkers? Like, Nobody knows. You wouldn't be taking plane parts up and down, uh, uh, under and beneath ground. That's a lot. There's no way, right? Like, what are you doing with that? Okay, here's the last thing. You ready? The artwork in the airport is excuse my French, fucked up. Are you talking about the gargoyles or the actual paintings? Well, the gargoyles are terrifying, but the actual paintings. So there's a lot of weird pieces of art throughout the airport. There is a mural that some believe to have Nazi imagery in the mural as proof of the airport is somehow linked to like the fascist secret society. Oh, is it the one with like the gas mask guy and like the sleeping people? Like There's a gas mask man who has this long sword who's like, cutting and blocking children. And it's a post-apocalyptic kind of scene. And there looks like a mother crying, holding her children. And it's really screwed up. How did these things get as far like as they did? How did nobody say, this isn't a good idea, guys? Okay, so there's two mur murals in the East and West baggage claims outside of the Great Hall. Each is split into two pieces separated by a doorway. Together, they tell a variety of different stories to travelers to interpret while waiting for their bags. The first mural is called In Peace and Harmony with Nature, which is said to symbolize the environment, environmental destruction versus, versus environmental healing. Um, the second mural is titled Children of the World Dream Children of the World Dream of Peace, which depicts a war versus peace theme. Um, they're terrifying. So the first one is like the entire world going to hell. And the second one is like a happy little world. And it's they're just freaking terrifying. And there's so many like hidden things within the mural. The first section of the mural, the bird that's in the middle is called Quetzal bird, which can sometimes be used as an allegory for extinction. One of the main conspiracies surrounding the airport is that the mass extinction event will happen soon and the DIA was built as a type of sanctuary for those selected to emerge into the new world unscathed. What? Similarly, on the other side of the mural, the plant that all the children are gathered around can be seen as a symbol for the new world government that everybody will have to follow once the extinction is over. And then the one that we talked about before with the like gas mask guy and the gun and the knife is called Children of the World Dream of Peace. 
It is said that themes of genocide, death, and destruction are clearly recalled in the imagery here, which easily goes with the idea from other murals of extinction events that are supposed to happen. So it's just creepy. It is an active airport. Oh, yeah. When you first had mentioned it, I was like, oh, is it something that got abandoned? But like looking into it, no, it is a used active airport. Okay, last thing. Listen to this. This is part of the painting. It's a piece of paper that was written by a child. It says, I was once a little child who longed for other worlds, but I am no more a child for I have known fear. I have learned to hate. How tragic then is youth which lives with enemies, with gallows, ropes. Yet I still believe I only sleep today that I'll wake up a child again and start to laugh and play. Creepy! So yeah, I personally will never fly into that airport just because I'm creeped out. I know it's fine. I know it's safe. Everything's been debunked, but um, y- y'all, y'all are not going to catch me with a new world order. Just saying. See, I thought that you were going to say something like the Kurt Cobain conspiracy, but this was like hard. Yeah, no, this is a lot. Libby, can you distract me with your chapter now? Because I'm getting to heebie-jeebies again. Should we play our theme song? Do we need to sing and dance for a second? Yeah, I, oh gosh, I think I need to shake that off a little bit. That, that was a lot. Chapter 27. Farah lay in bed watching Moonlight move and change on the floor. Farah hadn't gone to dinner and couldn't bring herself to paint after Resan left. The manor was quiet but would shudder from Tamlin's rage. She was afraid to let herself think of the blight under the mountain or Amarantha, the once mysterious she. Her door creaked open and Tamlin slipped in. Tamlin struggles to put into words, but eventually tells Feyre he is sending her home despite the treaty. Tamlin would take on her life debt and take responsibility for Andrus's death if it came to that. Feyre worried she had done something wrong, and he tries to comfort her, assuring her that she had not. She had to leave because there were people who would want to hurt her. She couldn't protect herself, and he couldn't protect her either. Feyre tries to ask about Amarantha, but Tamlin tells her that when she gets home, she must play along with the glamour to stay safe. She had to get away now before anyone got their hands on her. She would be a liability, and there was no telling when she could return. But it wouldn't be forever. Tamlin insisted this. Favor knew it was a lie. Tamlin's hands rested on Favor's hips as she pushed him to the bed and straddled him, almost as if it would keep him from sending her away. They kissed hard and fast, and Tamlin's mouth journeyed lower to the spot where he had sunk his teeth into her neck. His hands drew the shape of her hips, dragging her nightgown up along the way. He breathed her name into her chest and his hand stopped just below her breast. Tamlin's kissing became gentler and slower as he shredded the lacy silk nightgown from her in pieces. His kissing grew deeper as his hand slid lower and found a home within her. Tamlin begins to pull away, but Favor drags him closer, needing all of him. Tamlin worries if they keep going, he won't be able to stop. Favor tosses the remains of her nightwear to the floor and silently moves her legs, opening as an invitation. Favor tells him to give her everything. Tamlin lunges, and Feyre tears his clothing off. Tamlin gently places his claws on her hips and brings his face between the invitation legs. Feyre was calling out his name when Tamlin joined himself into her. They moved together as one, and Tamlin let out a roar as they both went over the edge together. Feyre slept in Tamlin's arms and knew that there was no way she could paint what she was feeling. There was no right colors or shapes to use. Tamlin tells Feyre to sleep as she has a long journey tomorrow. Feyre is shocked that he is sending her home, at dawn to be exact. Favor drifts off knowing that she is soon leaving a place that felt safe to her, a place that she now felt was home. As she descended into sleep, she heard Tamlin say, I love you, thorns and all. When Favor woke up in the morning, Tamlin was gone, and she was worried she had dreamt all of it. Chapter 28. Favor didn't have to spend much time packing or saying goodbye. 
she was only surprised at the interesting dress that Alice made her wear. It was a full pale pink silk with white and blue lace, topped with a white linen jacket and a tiny, stupid little ivory hat. This must have been fashionable among the rich human population. When Feyre noted to Alice, she replied that instead of commenting on the dress, Feyre should be giving her a teary goodbye. Feyre explained that she didn't like goodbyes. If it was up to her, she'd just leave without saying anything. Alice agreed with disliking goodbyes. Before exiting the room, Feyre told Alice that she hoped she got to be with her nephews again soon. Alice only said to make the most of Feyre's freedom. Lucian, in an attempt to lighten the mood, stated that her clothes alone were convincing him that he never wanted to go to the human lands. Feyre said that she wasn't sure if the human realm would know what to do with him. They made their way out front to the awaiting carriage. Lucian's smile faded as he said to her, I thought you were better than this. She only replied with, goodbye to you too. It stung. Lucian shook his head and walked over to Tamlin. Lucian pleaded to him to just give her a few more days before sending her back, but Tamlin bit that it wasn't up for debate. With that, Lucian stomped up the stairs. Tamlin faced Vera and her chest caved in. Remember what I told you, he said. He reminded her the mortal world was safe for her and her family. Vera didn't know what to say, but blurted out that her paintings were now his. He kissed her and pulled away far too quickly. I will see you again, he said. Tears filled her eyes as he helped her into the carriage. He asked if she was ready. No, she wasn't, especially not after last night, but she knew she had to. So she nodded. He shut the door and Farah felt her heart shatter. With his last smile, Tamlin said, I love you. Farah knew she should say it back, but for a thousand reasons she couldn't. Because of what was to come, because he was immortal and she would age and die, because she wouldn't ever become a burden to him. Nothing escaped her lips as the carriage moved forward and Feyre did not let herself look back. Just like before, the minute the carriage entered the woods, a heavy sleep fell over Feyre. She awoke, pissed that she'd missed most of the journey, but looked outside the window to find a driveway she'd never been in before. The carriage stopped in front of a manor almost as big as the one she left in the spring court. Feyre didn't recognize any of the servants, but could tell they were all human. Feyre saw her sisters before they knew who she was. Nesta welcomed her to their home politely, though with no enthusiasm, before she realized it was Feyre. Nesta exclaimed Feyre's name and asked her what had happened to their aunt if Feyre was back home. Was she now dead? Feyre nodded. Elaine said how sad it was that Feyre had to go through the pain of losing her aunt all alone. She said that her father would be so upset that he didn't get to attend the funeral. Feyre was struck that these mundane things were the biggest of worries to them, but a weight lifted off of her shoulders. These were their biggest worries now, not if they would get their next meal or go cold. Feyre said to the two that she was glad to see that their circumstances had improved since she left. Elaine went on to explain that a week after Feyre had left, a stranger asked their father to invest for him. Their father had doubled the man's investment and more money followed. Also, all the ships that were lost at sea were found with their father's profits still there. Feyre's heart pinged as she realized this was all Tamlin's doing. Elaine excitedly invited Feyre inside and said that their father was going to faint when he saw her, might even throw a ball in her honor. As Feyre made her way back to the door, she heard the carriage leave back to the spring court, her true home, back to Tamlin. She knew he had loved her in the way he made love to her, the fact that he'd sent her away to keep her safe and released her from the treaty. She knew that she had to stay away because whatever they were about to face... They couldn't do it with her there. Even with all the reasons why, she couldn't help but feel that she'd made a huge mistake in leaving. The words of the serial raced through her mind. Stay with the High Lord. She shook the words from her mind and greeted her teary father. He did throw a ball for her. She knew then the promise she made to her mother was finally completed. She should be happy to know that they were all safe and taken care of, but her heart was still broken. 
Poor girl, she is not having a great day. I mean, that's very sad. But at the same time, she had to know, like, this life wasn't going to last forever. It's too good. Why would she think that, though? She was told from the very beginning, you'll never go back. This is your life now. Because Bestie never lets things be happy. Come on. We know that, but she had no reason to believe that. I was very surprised that Feyre felt so strongly about Tamlin. I mean, shoot, they sleep together. They they finally do the thing. Do the deed. And he tells her, right, he tells her he loves her, and she can't muster it back. She can't get it out. There's a lot of hesitation. Girl's gone through a lot of trauma, though. Look how far she's come, Abby. A few episodes ago, her biggest problem was that she couldn't paint that day. She has been domesticated. She has calmed down. She has worked through or what she believes to be working through a lot of that trauma felt happy, felt like this was home. And yet something is keeping her from being able to say it back. Trust your gut, Farah. Which is funny because at the end she's like, I felt like I did something wrong. Okay, well, why didn't you listen to that beforehand, girlfriend? Right? Come on. I almost wondered if she was hoping it would keep him from sending her back. Because right afterwards, he's like, yeah, go to sleep. Uh, you've got a long journey. And she's like shocked. She's still, you're still sending me away. After, after everything? After I said I loved you? Or after I thought I loved you? After that? After how many margaritas and I opened my legs? One margarita, I'm gonna open my leg. Get me two margaritas. I'm gonna stop that song. <laughs> and he still sends her back. I mean, I don't think she did it to be manipulative. I think she wanted it. And it was a consensual thing. But I think that she was hoping that it would also be two birds, one stone, and he'd let her stay with that act. And it kind of frustrates me that Tamlin is telling her, yeah, 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 you'll, it's not forever. We don't know how long. And Feyre knows it's a lie. Obviously, they both know, they feel like it's a lie. Yeah, he's like, I'll see you again. Yeah, so they, they believe it to not be true, that they're probably never going to see each other again. And he's telling her these things, and he's still willing to sleep with her and send her off forever. And yeah, I get that he's saying he loves her, but that just seems cruel. That just seems like one more thing for her to now have to grieve over. I love you, goodbye forever. Right. It felt manipulative. It felt like he he didn't actually intend to ever see her again. And it was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this while I can. Kind of fuckboy energy. It was. It wasn't my favorite circumstance. I didn't like how he was like, all right, cool. Thanks. Go to bed. You're still leaving. I am still sending you home. Like, I didn't like the roaring that still, uh, I hated the roaring. That would be, that's an ick for me. That's a, <laughs> that's a no thank you. I just didn't enjoy Tamlin. I need to talk about how Alice and hers goodbye was the most perfect thing ever. Because neither one of them are very super emotional people. And instead of being like, goodbye forever and really sad, it was just a good luck on your freedom. I hope you see your nephew. It was, it was very true it was something that i could see them having and not a like as alice was joking like where's my teary goodbye Farrah doesn't do that alice doesn't do that and bestie made sure that their their separation for god knows how long was true i really appreciated that 
Well, yeah, she stuck to the to who they were as characters. She didn't try to force this emotional, teary scene. She kept them honest with who they were. And then the good, Lucian, cryptic little monkey. I thought you were better than this. What? What do you? What do you mean? Bro had me ready to fight. I was like, what? What? I'm not choosing to go. I didn't ask to go. I've been trying to stay. Yeah. I'm sorry, this is your asshole friend. You want to be pissed? Go talk to Tamlin. It's not my choice, dude. Monster Man's the one that's making this happen. Hello? Lucian needs to take that anger and direct it elsewhere. He needs to cool his little tater tots is what he needs to do. I was so mad about that. It felt like a lot of misdirected anger. I think that Lucian needed to take a step back, (laughs) reevaluate what exactly he's feeling, and who he really is angry with, because that's not fair to Feyre. What is it that she she's not doing that's good enough? That's that's crap. That's not okay. Especially when, like, she's only doing what he's asking her to do. Tamlin is the one that said, you have to go. And isn't it Lucian who freaks out over what Tamlin wants and demands all the time? Yet Feyre is following orders and that's suddenly not okay. And God forbid she do that. Bit of a double standard. Very hypocritical. I love that uh, she gets knocked the hell out again. <laughs> like, you will not learn the way, way here. Oh, she was pissed. Livid. I mean, wouldn't you be, though? I think it was controlling again. I, I get why. He doesn't want her to come find him, come seek him out. But come on, stop forcing things upon her. Stop deciding for her. She is an adult. She is. And you're not giving her the chance to have a choice, to be a person that makes their own decisions and has autonomy and can control their own life and future. You're, again, deciding for her that she doesn't need to know so that she can't put herself at risk. Why does he get to decide those things? Because Tim Tam thinks he has all the power in the world. Well, Homeboy was just on his knees begging last episode. So, no. You know what's sad? She doesn't even question it. Again, more proof that she's kind of losing her strength in herself. Right. She really is in his shadow here. This woman that beforehand was questioning literally every single thing this man did to now being a person who's just okay with being told exactly what to do, it feels wrong. She seems to accept this role as a supporting character in his life, and he likes it that way. You can tell he likes it that way. He said he enjoys coming home from whatever life he's living to find her painting and quiet and safe and happy. And she is just okay with that. She's just accepted it that that's who she is. No, I don't want you to live somewhere else. I want you here where I can look after you, where I can come home and know you're here painting and safe. That's what he wants. And so this this blight is happening. This thing he no longer has any control over, which we still don't know what is happening. Well, and I think... They've left her in the dark so much. She doesn't know the full picture of obviously something's going on. We don't know it at this point. So she clearly has no clue. So because of her ignorance, she's living in bliss. Ignorance is bliss. She's just accepting everything she's being fed and told to do. She has no individuality here. She is okay with just being controlled and just living out this role that he has set up for her to play. And she doesn't seem to notice it yet. She doesn't seem to see how he has changed her and forced her into this golden gilded cage that she kind of 
at first fought against, but is now not only walked into it, but she's closing the door behind herself. She's saying, yeah, I I like this guy. He's fun to kiss. So we're going to stay here and do the things he wants to do. It just makes me sad to see this woman who was just once so strong-willed to now whatever he wants. She even thought, it's not my home, it's hell, and never voiced it. Well, and it's interesting that when she had nothing, she didn't even have the promise of the next day. She didn't have safety. She didn't have food. She had nothing. And that's when it almost feels like she was at her strongest compared to now. She has all of the luxuries. She has all of the not having to worry. And she doesn't seem like a strong person anymore. She seems fragile and frail and in need of saving a damsel. I feel like the Feyre before would have fought for more information from Lucian. What do you mean I'm better than this? What What do you mean? Tell me more. I think she would have fought for information when the, she overheard the adder. I think she would have fought every step of the way. I think she would have fought with information with Reese. She didn't ask, what do you mean is whore? She wouldn't have allowed herself to hide behind the curtains and be glamored while he burst in she would have been in his face with that butter knife and she wouldn't have allowed him to toss the knife away from her she would have fought him tooth and nail she would have demanded she would she would have been i think frustrated with the favor she has turned into or has been morphed into molded into i would say molded into because it's more she's taking on the form of somebody who's placated groomed he's like he's he's groomed her into this into what she is now groomed she even says she's she doesn't want to go and she doesn't do anything about it she's just okay i think when she got back to her her new home the home with her her family when she goes i'm here i should be happy i'm here but my true home is back with tamlin that made me feel weird because I feel like it's been a very quick turn of events from her questioning everything. And now what we've only seen them be on like a couple dates realistically. And now her true homes with Tamlin, like that feels very rushed in my opinion. Did you get that vibe at all? Or it felt odd to me that for someone who was fighting so hard to simply communicate and get back to her family, that after a couple months, she's just like, I don't want to be with them anymore. I don't. Like, she spent her whole life taking care of. And I get that she's dealt with her frustrations from the way they treated her. But still, they, they had more precedence, more of a priority in her life. And I would imagine she'd want to still get home to make sure that they're safe and taken care of. But at this point, she's like, I, I don't really give a shit. I don't want to be here anymore. She doesn't. She doesn't care. She's like, I just want to be back home with Tamlin. I'm like, your entire life was fighting for the health of your family and the happiness of your family. You know they're happy now. And while you know you should be happy about that, you're not. Instead, all you want to be back is with this man who captured you. And you're only there because of a rule that you broke. Well, and she fought for her freedom, for her time, for her peace and happiness to paint and be free and now she just wants to go paint and and I guess free. Would you say that's free? Because Tamlin puts a lot of rules and restrictions on where she can go, what she can do, who she can see. I, don't, I wouldn't say that that's free. I'm saying free in quotes. Yeah, free question mark. I think it's weird because all of a sudden this feeling of home with Tamlin, it's been 
not that long. This is a new feeling. And for her to completely wash her hands of her family altogether. It just feels so rushed. Yes, it does. I can't get over that. Okay, we've got some foreshadowing here, or what feels like foreshadowing, saying at the very end of the chapter, I just feel like I, I made the wrong choice. The words of the surreal are just going through my head. Don't leave the high lord. I think she was made to feel guilty, and that's why she's feeling that way. I think that Lucian being like, I expected better from you. He actually said, I, I double-checked, I thought you were smarter than this. There we go. I thought you were smarter than this. And then Tamlin being, I love you. And I just feel like that was a lot to throw on her all at once, all while sending her home. And they all kind of know at this point in their minds, they're never going to see each other again. I think that she feels guilty. I think that she's looking at this thinking, I messed up. I messed something up. I was supposed to say it back. I was supposed to know better because they. He's, she's been shamed. She's been now not love bombed, but love bombed. Is, is that a good way to explain that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, I think that in this circumstance, I don't think she realizes it. I think she feels guilty and like she messed up. Because that's how they made her feel. Not because she should feel guilty or that she should say it back. Okay, before we go over our favorite, um, before we go over our favorite quotes, I have to mention something. Nesta's not buying this bullshit. And I love Nesta. Nesta's just seeing right through it. Feyre says, I'd forgotten how cunning her eyes were. How cold. She'd been made differently from something harder and stronger than bone and blood. She was different from the humans around her. Nesta questioned Feyre, why are you being so quiet? She knows something's up. And I love that. Nesta's like, uh, 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 something's wrong. I think we're all a little bit of Nesta here. I think we're all just like, this is all bullshit. This is all bullshit. I stand by the fact that I have a sister like Nesta who will never ever listen to this podcast, so I don't care. I was gonna say, Abby. My sister also feels like she's made from something other than blood and earth. So I get that. I get that gaze. So seeing that, I was like, mm-hmm, I understand. I get it. And then Elaine's like, sunshine's rainbow. Your Our dad's going to be so excited to see you. He's going to throw a ball in your honor. And Nessa's like, why are you here? You know, I loved the difference between the two. I could definitely picture my sister relating to some characters, um, but I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to let sunshine. Because <laughs> your sister listens. Yeah, I'm going to let her dwell on that. I'm going to wait for the text message when she listens to this. And she's like, who am I, Libby? And I'll be like, oh. That episode was from a month ago. You don't get to know now. I'm just kidding. She actually stays pretty up to date, but. All right, Elizabeth, what is your favorite quote? Did you just, did you just birth name me? My government name? Yes, I called you Elizabeth. I sure did. I dead named you. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. Now I have the metallic sting in my, bleh. It's not magic, I promise. Uh, I actually liked when Tamlin was telling her about how like she's got to go back and she's questioning like how long and he's like oh I don't know and she's like well not forever right and he's not really answering and so she says I suppose it will be easier if I'm gone I said looking away from him who wants someone around who's so covered in thorns thorns question mark from Tamlin Mm -hmm. thorny prickly sour contrary I love the descriptiveness. I I love the punch it packed. I love that it it is imagery on how she feels about herself. I don't like that this is how she feels. And you know you felt that way. Oh, yeah. We've all felt this way. And I hate that she feels this way. But I thought it was so well written. I thought it was very 
descriptive and it really hit home. Okay, can I piggyback with my favorite quote after yours? Yes. It goes right with yours. It's at the very end of that chapter. It says, I love you, he whispered and kissed my brow, thorns and all. That was a good answer to that. And it really brings, uh, obviously, the title of the whole book into perspective. There's the the juxtaposition between the good and the bad here. She's found this happy love and now she has to leave it. It really, for me, has tied the book into a nice little bow. I always like when I can figure out where the title come from. As cheesy as it can be, like I'm glad to know I understand what this book is. Libby, are you ready for this week's Star of the Week? I really am. When am I not ready for our star of the week? I mean, they're so good. We go through a lot though. We don't just stalk random people and send out random messages. We actually do take the time to go through and find accounts and people who are growing their businesses or creating an environment for the fandom to bring people together. So we're always excited. I'm always excited because I appreciate the time and effort that our stars put in. So yes, I'm ready and excited. Libby, here's the big issue. There are so many things from this woman's shop that I want that I am overwhelmed with what to choose. There's just so many things. Okay, her name is Jessica. She has the Sirens Layer as her Instagram account. It is a bookish shop that she has online that she sells stuff on. And she has like signs and bookmarks and hats. And when I say signs, I mean like beautiful handcrafted wall decor it looks like laser cutout i don't i don't know exactly what it is there's one coming out it's i think you can pre-order it about valerian war camp and i want it so badly i'm taking it back they are acrylic decor like acrylic wall decor and they are stunning so she has a blurb her little about me that i'd like to read it says My shop got started in 2020. I kept hearing about the series that I just had to read called A Court of Thorns and Roses. I started it, but ended up putting it down for a few months. But when the pandemic hit, I finally had time to sit down and read it, and it quickly consumed my entire life. So much so that I decided to make my own bookshelf decor based on it, and everybody loved it so much that I just decided to reach out for licensing and make it a focus of my shop. Since then, I've branched out to other authors, but Akatar was really what got me started, and I'm so grateful and glad that I decided to pick it back up. When I'm not working, which any small business owner can tell you isn't really all that often, girl, yes, understand. I love spending time with my husband and our two boys. We love to travel and experience new things with them and give them a broader view of the world. Oh, the Sirens Layer, really, that's what I'm most proud of, and they're the reasons I do this. Running my own business has made me into a better, happier person, which makes me a better mom for them. And I'm so thankful for all the support and opportunities I've received from the bookish community. It's been an amazing adventure. I got chills right then. Like, Lydia, look at my arm. That she says she does this all for her kids because that is just mm, the cutest thing ever. I can absolutely relate with her, though. I am not the best mom I can be as a stay-at-home mom. And I have nothing but admiration for the moms who can do it I just know that I would not be the best mom I can be so I I do work and I do it to be the best mom I can be so I felt that really deeply when she said Libby, that she's got so many great things but here's my top two you ready number one it's part of her 
what is currently a wait list, but actually comes out on August 15th. So by the time this episode comes out, y'all, you don't have to pre-order. You can actually get it. It is Meet Me at Valaris. It's a 3D light up shelf sign. Oh my God. It's got Ramiel. I, that's how I pronounce it. Ramiel, Ramiel. It's got the three stars. It's got, oh, we're just going to have to post a, post a photo. And then there's, of course, the Bat, the bat Boys and Asuriel's Tea Shop. And then you were talking about the Valkyrie Camp one. It looks like almost a logo for a summer camp. And at the very top it says, be fearless. And if there's anything Akasaf's taught me, it is to be fearless. So not only she got those amazing signs, she's got keychains, she's got t-shirts, she's got bookmarks that I very much have to go by right now. So my friends, we're going to post photos like normal of our favorite things from her shop, but please go check it out. Even if it's just to see that Valkyrie sign, because it's the cutest thing I've ever seen. It really is. It, just just go look. Do it right now. Go. Calling all dreamers. We want to hear from you. Send us an email to a court of thorns and podcasts at gmail.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Go check us out on TikTok. Tell us everything. Your thoughts, your feelings, what your plans are for the week. Any crafts you're up to. If you have any Star of the Week suggestions, we're open to checking out anybody for real. So we're waiting. Go reach out. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered. We'll see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win. From the dark, it's a man. From the light, it's me. Taking all my feelings, you in my head, you in my heart. I'm never in the dark. Oh, that sounds great, Libby. Can I hear that one more time? Yeah, yes. Mm, yes, I understood that.